And welcome to Ask Me About K-Pop, the essential guide for recent converts and seasoned fans alike. My name is Shannon. And I'm Angelica. And welcome to the first episode of Ask Me About K-Pop Book Club. It's finally yes, here. Yes, our very first edition of our book club this month. We are going to be doing a deep dive into everything to do with the book Shine by Jessica Jung from International K-Pop Star. The tagline is "All's fair in love and K-pop," and that's that's <laughs> true. <laughs> that's true. It is true that that is the tagline. <laughs> is all fair in love and K-pop? I, we'll find out, I guess. Yeah, we'll find out. Read this book. book says no. I would say. <laughs> I would say so too. Actually, I feel like the the conclusion of this book is that things are quite unfair in love in and many K-pop. ways. First of all, I guess I would like to say. Um, thank you and a sincere apology to everybody who has read along with us um, over this last couple of months, because I guess it's been about a month since I've had my copy. So uh, we've been getting a lot of messages of a lot of people being like, I can't do it. <laughs> it's too bad. Or like, why did you make us do this? And for that, I'm sorry. We didn't like hundred percent know what we were getting like we didn't have advanced copies like other people we bought it we didn't and we also I mean we discussed when the book was announced we discussed it on the show Mm -hmm. and we did read the excerpt which had been published which it turns out is a it's just the first first, couple paragraphs yeah Yeah. pages um and so we had a taste right of the quality of writing let's say sure um but we didn't know what the plot was going to be and i do think that there was a lot of anticipation about um a bit more of like historical fiction i think right. is what we were hoping for and it's a very different it's it's not what we expected yes. i think and so for that i do apologize <laughs> in the sense that like you didn't really get the tea that you were probably right. hoping for um and if you don't like those sort of cookie cutter Netflix rom-coms, you probably won't enjoy this right. either. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, because I think I think all of us last year when they announced this and the way that it was being talked about and the fact that the Korean print had to be like redone for the cover, mm-hmm. people were assuming that this was going to be some kind of like change the details version of Jessica's time in Girls' Generation. And it is absolutely 100% not that at all. No. It is a (laughs) fictionalized tale of a girl who is a trainee and there's a, you know, like a romance and mean girl drama. Yeah. And it takes place in 2020. Yes. It is a current day story which mm-hmm. was very unexpected that was yeah. an interesting choice so we're gonna get into it later in the episode we will have a special guest and we're going to talk about specifically the ways that we think this book got k-pop wrong entirely yes um there is we'll get into it more but there is a lot of speculation that this was ghost written mm-hmm. and that you know jessica maybe have offered some details but somebody else wrote this book and it makes sense to me because it's the book's understanding of how K-pop works feels so off that I can't believe someone who was like one of the biggest stars of it would write it this way. Yeah. <laughs> in the sense of the like, 
logistics of the industry, right? Yeah. Like how the industry works in terms of promotion and in terms of putting things together. It just is a much more Western idea of Hollywood than it is the K-pop industry. But again, but that is what today's guest topic will be. So that's later. Today, up at the top, what we're going to do is a quick synopsis, quick but also detailed (laughs) synopsis of the book in case you couldn't finish it, like we said, or in case you saw all those other people in the Discord saying that it was bad (laughs) and we're like, okay, never mind, I'm not going to buy this. There right. or you're fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we are going to spend the next four episodes of the show talking about it. So to catch you up on those who maybe didn't read along, let's start off, kick off our book club with an in case you missed it. Too long didn't read edition of Shine. <laughs> um, all right, so let's just jump in here. So this book, like we said, it takes place in 2020. We don't find that out for a few chapters, which annoyed me. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of information withholding in the beginning of this book that yes. I was like, I would like to know that. But our main character's name is Rachel Kim. She is 16 years old and was born and raised in New York City. And she moved to Seoul when she was 11 Age gets complicated. We'll get into we'll that, We'll talk too. about that. And she was scouted singing at a mall. Yes, she went to... Uh, this part does mirror Jessica's life in the sense that I believe she was... They said that she was spotted at a karaoke while she was on vacation in Like Korea. her and her... I think her and her sister might have mm-hmm. just gotten approached walking around for being beautiful. I don't know if they... No, like, I mean in the book. Oh, in the book, in the book. In yes, the book, she was... She and her she sister sang at the mall, were yes. singing karaoke at a mall while they were on a family vacation, which is a similar story to Jessica. To Jessica and Crystal. But Rachel is a trainee at the fictional DB Entertainment. And that's another note we'll get into. But all of the K-pop in this book is entirely fictional. Yes. They do not reference any real K-pop stars or songs mm-hmm. at all. Yes. But so many Hollywood celebrities name dropped constantly. Yes. Wow. Wait, I never even thought about that because... Wait, pause. Because that mean that I have to reevaluate the universe that this takes place in right. now. Because Sophie Turner and Joe, Joe Jonas, Jonas are married exist yeah. in this book. But like Exo doesn't. Right. And neither does Boa. Sure. Hmm. And neither did so Taiji and like neither right, does because Sai. according like, to nobody. this book, and we'll talk about it. But according to this book, K-pop, K-pop was around in, since like the eighties. Before then, that's when she retired. Right, in the she 80s. retired in the. Okay, oh my god. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> so anyway, everything about the K-pop is fictional. So just know that going in, nobody's real. So if anyone was reading this and was like, I don't know Electric Flower, it's because they're not real. Yeah. Um, okay, so she trains at a place called DB Entertainment. And she goes to Seoul International School. Which is an absurdly rich school in the way that it is described. And yet it is never explained how her family affords to send her to this school. Anyway. Anyway. So the book opens on the interview portion that we read. I think it was like last October. Yeah. In the Roses and Thorns. Whenever we announced the book, that excerpt is the beginning and it it's it um it purports that these girls are being like interviewed after getting an all kill on the charts but then it backs out and it's like this is interview training yes it wasn't a real interview which There's is good because here. you watch Rachel crash and burn yes. <laughs> in this interview like ouch 
It is rough. She is a highly cringeworthy character and difficult to like, which is unfortunate because she's the protagonist and it's told through her point of view. Um, But it also did make me feel better because when we read the excerpt on the show, I remember that there's a detail about one of the girls smacking her gum. And I said... On the show, like who would who, be what gum? K-pop idol would ever chew gum on an interview? And then when you realize she actually gets scolded for chewing the gum because right. it's a mock interview. And I was like, oh, well, thank God. At least they got that right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so in this opening scene, we meet uh, not only Rachel, but Rachel's enemy, whose name is Mina. Because she's mean. Oh, you guys, I wish so badly that we had been recording a couple of weeks ago when we were both sitting on the couch and realized that her name is Mina. And she's she's mean. mean. (laughs) (laughs) We couldn't stop laughing. Um, But Mina is another trainee. She's the same age as Rachel, but she's a chable to the C-marked corporation, and she's super mean. Which means heiress. Yes, yes, yes. Um, And she definitely seems to be very entitled. Um, However, perhaps her spot, her security in the company is not as... well established as, as it may seem, or as she purports. Yes, 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 yes. And then we also like meet, quote unquote, three more girls named Yunji, Lizzie, and Sumin, but they have no distinguishing characteristics. They are just the girls that stand behind Mina and say things. They throw out random insults every once in a while. Everyone in this book is so mean. Yes. We'll do an activity on it in another episode. <laughs> mean people in this book. Um, so then uh, after this fake training, um, Wait, 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 where am I? Okay, we meet Rachel. She's bad at being on camera and all the other girls hate her guts. Then she introduces us to DB Entertainment and she says that this is the home of such acts as Electric Flower, Mm -hmm. which is like a girl group that's that's been around for seven years and they're very popular. And then the newly debuted Next Boys. Yes. With a Z, all caps. But they do not specify how newly debuted they are. No, they just say that they are. And the level of like establishment of the next boys is quite a point of contention for me in this mm-hmm. book. Um, so just know that like some of the details that you kind of need to know in order to sell the story, you never get. Yes. <laughs> so. Um, so then we also find out that Rachel doesn't live in mm-hmm. the trainee house. Right. And everyone calls her princess Rachel. Cause she like, I don't know. She's not, she's not the same as everyone else yes it appears that she gets a lot because she only trains on the weekends whereas everybody else they don't go to school full-time and so um they're she gets seemingly more privileges yes and then we meet akari who is rachel's best friend um she's a fellow trainee and she's from japan and they like tell us that akari was like highly scouted in japan by all these agencies but her dad wanted her to be a k-pop star or something Mm -hmm. um so then the girls together go to like a company bowing ceremony and people are gossiping about jason lee the lead singer of Next Boys. There's so many rumors about Jason Lee. Yes. And then all these girls that we met have a snipey fight about who gets to stand in line where for their bowing ceremony. And then the CEO, we meet the CEO of DB Entertainment. His name is Mr. No. And the only thing we're told about him is that he wears mirrored sunglasses all the time. 
Yeah. So that's all we got about Mr. No. Um, Mr. No loves Rachel and has so many nice things to say mm-hmm. about Rachel, but he like doesn't know who Mina is. And Mina's like, but my dad like yes. for all this stuff. Despite the fact that Mina's father is like a heavy investor in DB Entertainment and somehow connected to Mr. No in a perhaps shady capacity to be to be decided to be decided um but she but then like she is unrecognizable to him so it's all very suspicious we also meet in this scene a character named chung yu jin and she is the head trainer of db entertainment and she's rachel's mentor and the person who discovered her yes so she's like the big sister like wise voice character i guess when mm-hmm. she's introduced. I believe she's also the like dance trainer or something. Head, she was some sort of trainer, head whatever trainer that means. Choreo- yeah, I don't know. She was a dancer. And she's um described as having neon hair. Not a color. Any color neon. Neon. Um so then at the end of this bowing ceremony, Mina invites Rachel to late night practice in front of Mr. No, like knowing full well that Rachel's mom doesn't let her come to midnight practice so like ooh, that's a dig mm-hmm. she got her and that's the first chapter <laughs> and that's it all right so chapter two it opens on rachel is working out in a boxing gym and we find out that her dad owns a boxing gym but he has a big secret which is that he's going to law school why <laughs> just so much of this I have why why again I think I'll say this early one of the like ways that I was able to save this book in my mind is that I do on some level enjoy those Netflix like by the book uh rom-coms and this book fits right on top of them so perfectly you can like see the Netflix movie in it and so like Mm -hmm. just viewing it through as like that's what this is helped me with it so much so yeah dad has a boxing gym and he's secretly going to law school because the parents have to have drama of some kind too um also in the boxing gym we meet more friends uh so there's the cho twins and these are rachel's bffs from from international school and they are also chables mm-hmm. to a makeup fortune a makeup fortune for a company called Molly Folly, which I think is a parody of Tony Moly, if mm. I could guess. Um, one is named Harry, and she's a nerd, and she likes engineering. And one is named Hyun, and she likes makeup and is YouTube famous. Yeah. and But they look exactly the same. <laughs> and those are her friends. So they're like hanging out at the boxing gym, and the friends are like, you have to sneak out and go to the trainee house like you have to Rachel you'll never get ahead if you don't go so then she goes home and we meet the mom and the mom is like stern and not a care the mom is not a character no the mom is so is like less she is like less than two-dimensional she's like negative dimensional she is just a black cloud just to be a foil, to be like, I don't like that you just do K-pop. Just to be a grump. A grump to be a grump. And yet it doesn't make sense that she doesn't like the fact that she does K-pop because her mom is the one who agreed to move her entire family from New York City to Seoul mm-hmm. so that her daughter could be a K-pop trainee. And then she spends the entire book poo-pooing on the fact that she needs to be a trainee and is like, why are you wasting all of your time at on the tra- this at, on this K-pop thing? Why don't you apply to college? And it's like, I don't know, mom. Why did you move me here when I was 11? You're the adult. 
that drove me insane. The whole <laughs> book. <laughs> so when uh, Rachel gets home, we also meet her little sister, Leah, who is the truest the best character part of, the of the book because <laughs> because Crystal is real, so Leah is real. And that's the only one reason that she makes sense. So she's a little sister. I wrote age unknown because I feel like they never say how she's old 11. she is. She's 11. Okay. Or 12. No, she's 13. She's 13. Korean age? Perhaps. Perhaps. Okay, but she's younger. <laughs> and we are told that Leah loves specifically The Rock. Several times. Weird. It is emphasized <laughs> she is... A Dwayne Johnson fan. But Leah is important because Leah is also like a big fan of all of these fictional K-pop groups and she loves K-drama. So like Leah is our, like the audience's like introduction into why the world, like why anything matters. Like Leah cares about K-pop. So then it like makes it Leah is the only fangirl in the book. Yes. The only one. Because her, uh, who, Jessica's. Rachel's friends <laughs> are um, not really K-pop fans. At least right. they don't really say anything. Like even they don't when seem they, to care that when much. they like meet celebrities later, they're just like so blase. They're like, because oh, they're is rich that an and idol? they don't care. Yeah, they don't give a fuck. <laughs> but Leah cares a lot, and so that is like a fun. And she's she's written very realistically. Yes. I feel like she's the only character that feels warm. Yes, because yeah, mm-hmm. because she is the person who I feel like could unabashedly be based on somebody without having to change anything because it's like her beloved little sister and like what yeah there's nothing else to say but like portray your sister the way she is and this this (laughs) character we we will of course for fun be speculating later this month about like ooh, people are um but we can say for sure like jessica has said leah is based exactly on crystal crystal picked the name leah for her character um so this is the one confirmed like she's a real person yeah so when rachel i wonder if crystal's a really big fan of the rock maybe that's like a weird fun fact about crystal that would be weird (laughs) but it would make more sense because it's so specific it's it's three separate times at least you guys like in the beginning the middle and the end of the book you are reminded that leah loves the the rock Rock. (laughs) um but when rachel gets home from the boxing gym Leah has like her little friends over and they're watching K-pop videos. And then the friends like ask Rachel, like, did you see any celebrities today? And like Rachel is unimpressive. So then they leave. And this is like Leah's C plot. It's that like her friends only want to be close to her famous sister, but they don't think her sister's cool either. So yes. So the C (laughs) yeah, the C plot is that Leah has no friends. friends and that the other girls at school, like, kind of relentlessly bully her and she's alone all the time and it's horribly sad and also I don't buy it because a she's a delight and b she has supposedly lived in this country since she was six and she's like 12 or 13 you're telling me in seven years the girl was not able to make one friend I know that's like too that's too sad I don't believe that other kindergartners and first graders would have given a shit if her older sister sister was a k-pop trainee like the six-year-olds would have been able to be friends with her Mm -hmm. so it's just like unnecessarily (laughs) cruel that they made leah such a like a reject yeah (laughs) yeah and that it was based on and then at and then at no point not to spoil it but that at no point anyone said to her like leah these people are not your friends they don't like anybody say that specifically 
I don't know. No one just laid it out. Like, though, you don't deserve them. They, are they don't not deserve your, you. They're not your friends. Yeah, they you deserve better you. is what I mean. Not yeah. you don't deserve. You know what I mean. Yeah. Anyway, we got to pick up the pace. We're yes. on chapter oh, three. Oh, boy. All right. So chapter three, Rachel decides she's sneaking out. She's going to the training house. So she leaves in Snoopy pajamas. Yes. And she is under the impression that this is a late night practice. Yes. Um, however, she brings a change of clothes. And so while she's changing, she trips behind a bush. Bella Swan style. She just falls down for no reason. And uh, who is there to pick her up but Jason the infamous Lee. Jason Lee. So Jason Lee is the lead singer of Next Boys. And he's the one that everyone at DB is talking about. He's so popular with everyone. He's half white. He's from Canada. There are constantly rumors flying about him. Like he steals from Mr. No or he has a secret werewolf girlfriend is one of the things that is specifically said. And I have to say this because during this meet cute, Rachel says like, I've heard you have a werewolf girlfriend. And then for absolutely no reason, he continues to call her werewolf girl for the rest of the book and i don't think it's cute (laughs) i had to reread it like four times because i was like why is he calling her that like it doesn't it doesn't feel very natural anyway jason walks her to the trainee house and it's not practice it's It's a a party party. because nope (laughs) we'll get it to it later but yes, there's, there's a frat party happening in mm-hmm. the training house. Beer and soju everywhere. So Rachel does shots and like climbs into Jason's lap. Like chapter three, here we yep. go. Yeah, they get real touchy real fast. Um, and we meet two, one. Just other, one yes. other next boy. His okay. name is Minjoon and he is the only other next boy that is named in this book. Oh, I thought they named like one Mm-mm. other. Okay, just enough. this one. Too bad. Um, and he's Sorry, like Jason's boys. buddy, and he's apparently the lead dancer, but he also has no defining character. Like she doesn't describe anyone in this book. No, he is hungry at one point, <laughs> and then he serves later on to say something like she's cool, or like he right. serves Ooh. to approve of her later on for no reason at all. Right. Um, but then Mina and her friends are wearing tiaras and they kick all the boys out. They're like, boys, you got to leave this party. And then they get some champagne and they're like a toast to Rachel. And then Rachel drinks the champagne and she fucking blacks out because Mina and the girls drugged her. Yeah. So we go from zero to a hundred really fast. Like lines get crossed. That, like, I couldn't fucking believe that that happened. And then it, like, never really gets addressed after no, that. No, they really so don't serious. resolve it. It feels so serious yeah. to me to drug someone. It is very serious. Right? It's very serious. And the way that it slightly escalates later on, I think I expected it to go in one direction. And I wonder, because one thing I didn't know when I started reading this is that there is a sequel planned. Yes. And so there are certain plot points in the book that never get resolved and this I think is one of them um, because the extent to which the blackmail could be played has not been played yet and so I wonder if it's going to come back around and they will like it will get resolved in the second book because as it is right now they never address it again and it's very upsetting yeah so as Rachel's passing out you hear like she hears like garbled like she's never gonna make it now yeah like haha it worked we did it right so she wakes up alone chapter four she wakes up alone hungover in the trainee house 
and shows up at the company like in her Snoopy pajamas, like throw up in her hair, whatever looks terrible. And uh oh, they're having auditions today because Jason Lee is going to do a duet with a trainee. Jason is making his solo debut and part of it involves a duet, a duet. So Rachel immediately blows the dance audition and then sings better Sings so much better, in fact, that Jason appears in the wings with a mic and he joins her. High school musical style, yes. baby. Coming and again, out of the wings. I can picture it in the Netflix movie and, and it's you can gonna picture be good. the cameras spinning and the spotlight and the Snoopy pajamas and everybody's in awe at the magical chemistry that is obvious from their voices intertwined. And then. Bleh. <laughs> Rachel pukes on Jason. She pukes on she him. She pukes all over his <laughs> shoes. And then runs away. And then she finds out while cowering in the bathroom that Mina got picked to do the duet with Jason. Dun, dun, dun. Um, okay, so then chapter five, wait, it starts with Rachel not paying attention in tennis class and this is when they describe her fancy international school to us and it's fucking crazy they're like celebrities teach and there's like mark zuckerberg comes and teaches computer class and it just sounds bananas maybe it's real but like what it doesn't sound real (laughs) (laughs) um but then she's like telling her friends about how she puked on jason and like oh no what am i gonna do and then a bully shows up who we are introduced. Her name is Wan Somi, and she is also a chable for City Sung Corp. And she's also mean. So she's like Mina, but at school. But she only shows up this one time. Yeah. And she has like a she has a underling named Kyung Mi, who is an overly excited classmate that just like wants to be friends with everybody. And they make such a big deal about introducing these two characters that I'm like, again, I see this in the movie, in the drama, but like they mm-hmm. don't come back. So they I show don't... up a little while later. Oh, maybe... and I, I feel like one of them it hints that she is Almost like a little bit paparazzi-ish. Like she hangs oh, around one of them. and mm. is, and like, I feel like there is a part where Rachel like hears clicks of a camera. So like, I think this, this overly oh excited God, one. that comes later. Yeah. <gasps> this overly excited one gets like a little bit, um, hanger on, you okay, know, yes. she's, she's suspicious to me. Okay. And that I'm mm. making connections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So Kyung Mi, overly excited classmate. Um, we also meet another classmate who is important to a D plot. I guess you could say a nerdy boy named Deho has a crush on one of the twins, but it is not immediately clear which twin. It's not immediately clear which twin. However, we do know that the engineering twin has a crush on him him. and they are lab partners. Yeah. And they hang out all the time, but he gets very nervous around the makeup sister. So it's like, Ooh, what's happening. And so it is implied that he has a crush on the other twin. Right. And because the, the twin who has a crush on him believes he has a crush on her twin. Right. (sighs) So again, I can see it in the movie and it will be cute when they cast, if they, I'm telling you, if they cast this movie, right, guys, I will cry. All right. Chapter six. Oh, no, no. So chapter five ends with them watching a viral video and Rachel gets an idea. So her and Akari go to, uh, the, to Eugen and they're like, we have an idea. We need the world to see Rachel singing with Jason and then she'll get picked. Everybody could see the magic when they were on stage. You saw it too, Eugen. Yeah, and so she's 
stirred and she does it. So she's like, meet me at this secret place in Itaewon. I have an idea. So then they go to Itaewon and they see like an act, they recognize an actor coming out of a ratty building. And they're like, that's where we got to go. And then it's a secret vine covered speakeasy cafe. It's a celebrity haven just for celebrities. Um, and then Yujin brings them over and she's like, this is my mother, Chung Yuna. And then they tell us that Chung Yuna was the, quote, first K-pop star who retired in 1980 and is Yujin's mother and the owner of this place. Back to that later. She talks to the girls and says they're pretty or something. Um, then we learned that Rachel likes to draw outfits on napkins as a habit. Isn't that cute? She donks herself in the face with a spoon and Jason sees, oh, he saw her do that. New chapter. Jason is tan and hot and he's wearing a sweater. And Rachel and Jason bond over their shared hatred of certain things about Korean food. They don't like cheese. They don't like sausage. They think it's gross. Then they tell us Jason's band is here and they're on the stage. So there's two other next boys. They do not get names. They just are. They sing a Chung Yuna ballad and Yujin films it. And Rachel's like, I know it. We just did it. And by nightfall, there's 200,000 likes on the Instagram video of her singing with Jason in the cafe. They did it. Yes. And it becomes clear that Yujin had like steered Rachel to Jason's usual table. And like, that's why they had this secondary meet cute. They get dragged up on stage by the next boys. Anyway. Viral video, a success. Yeah, so now we're at oh, chapter eight, tense meeting at DB. Rachel is in so much trouble for puking on Jason, they are going to kick her out of the company. But then there's this executive named Mr. Han who is described in another chapter as Korean Chris Hemsworth. And he is like... Oh my God, is he? Yes. I totally missed that. What? Yes, they say hmm. he looks like a Korean Chris Hemsworth. Wow, that's not what I was picturing him like in my head. Okay. Um, And he is like... He he says something weird about his grandfather later and like he's new on the board of directives, but he like believes in Rachel. And he is specifically the only young member yes. on the board. Yes. He's in his 30s and he represents a sort of new philosophy yes. of how K-pop should be run. So More he, on that later. So he tells all the stuffy people at the board meeting like, but have you even watched the video? And he pulls up the viral video and they're also moved by Rachel and Jason and their beautiful chemistry. And so they say, all right, now Jason and Rachel and Mina will perform as a trio. Dun, dun, yes. dun. Rachel gets home and she's so excited to tell her mom, but her mom has been sent the video of her blackout at the party. And it is a video of her standing on a table in a white tank top that is see-through because it's soaked in alcohol. So you can like see her bra and she's like dancing and it looks like she's doing a strip tease or, or something. something. And so her mother has been sent this video by an anonymous person. Yeah, and then there's like a quick fight that basically ends with Rachel being like, but they picked me to sing with Jason Lee. So then her mom's like, okay, even though K-pop is toxic and it made you do this horrible thing, my 16-year-old child get drunk in public, uh, you can sing with Jason. But if you don't get picked to debut in the new girl group by the end of summer, 
that's it. No more K-pop. Right. Because Rachel's main argument is that she's so close to debuting. Mm-hmm. And it, this is a sign that they're going to debut her afterward. However, she does not explain to her mother that the only reason that video exists is because she was drugged. Because she doesn't want her mother to think that... To pull her out of the company because, because her it's co-workers toxic. are drugging yeah, her. Yeah, because her co-workers are drugging her and making like... I don't know. What, would that even be considered child porn? Because she Who is 16. It's, some, it's not good, whatever it questionable is. Questionable at best. At best. Um, okay, so a week later, Rachel is exhausted from rehearsals and dieting, and everyone's giving her shit about dancing and her body being gross, and then Rachel and Mina have a costume fitting, and they snipe at each other the whole fucking time, and then they have an actual fight on the scales in front of a manager and yell about the drugging. Rachel's like, you drugged me. And Mina's like, I'd like to see you prove it. Yeah. <laughs> they have that in the middle of their costume fitting and no one does anything about it. No, no, not a damn thing. Um, then Rachel like sees her friend Akari doing wall sits and getting hit by a trainer. Yes. Hit in the stomach so that she uses her diaphragm. And then she goes to rehearsal and Jason shows up late to practice with a bag of French fries and all the executives are like, Jason is here. And they're so excited. And then he talks to Rachel the whole time that Mina is dancing and is saying like really cheesy romantic stuff to her about there's like gold flecks in your eyes. And I'm like, so excited that I get to sing with you. Do you want to know why? Do you want to know why, Rachel? Do you want to know why I'm so excited to sing, sing with, with you, you, Rachel? And then he just gets up and he's like, I gotta go. Peace out. And everyone's like, bye, Jason. And he like doesn't even stay for practice and he just leaves. Yeah. (laughs) He didn't even do anything. Anyway, more on that later. More on that later. Okay, so chapter 10. Rachel is tired at school because she's been training and daydreaming about Jason too much. Right. Because despite her best efforts, she does find him charming. He's so charming. Um, then Leah wakes her up on the weekend and she's like, Rachel, I won tickets to a next boy fan side. And will you take me? Because Leah loves the next boys. Yes. So they go to, and the fan sign is going to be at a fashion, an exclusive fashion store that Rachel's always wanted to go to because Rachel loves clothes. They have to like dig that in yeah. because it's a thing that's true about Jessica. Anyway. Her sister has a nice poster. And then again, she fucking trips and like gets the poster all in the mud. And she goes to a coffee shop. And who's in the coffee shop? Jason is there. And then they go into the fan sign. And Jason makes a really big deal fawning over her sister. And he's like taking so many selfies with her that then people in line are like, is that Rachel Kim from TV Entertainment? And then there's a riot at the fan sign. Yes, because the people in line at the fan sign recognize her from the viral video, right? And so it has been announced that this trainee is going to be singing a song with this very popular idol Mm -hmm. and so the fans go bananas and it it starts out positive and then it gets real nasty real fast and they have to get security out of there um and then jason texts her when she gets home that night and she's like because while they were taking selfies he like put his number in her phone or something right um so then at the next chapter uh chapter 11 rachel's at dance practice and she's fucking everything up mr han comes to tell her that she's a phone call and that's when they explain like we can't have phones and then he like 
shows her his weird watch and like I don't know there's yes. things about he Mr. makes Han. a very specific showing of his watch which has rubies around it and it was given to him by his grandfather and blah 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 he says something wise about time anyway Mr. Han is supposed to be an ally yes um so then the next day Mina is also struggling with her part so then the two of them like decide to like bury the hatchet and we're gonna help each other no Mina decides oh, to be true. the bigger person you're right and she comes over and says listen I'm fucking this up and you're fucking that up I'm gonna help you with this and you help me with that mm-hmm. she is the one who proposes it you're I'm right. just saying just saying Rachel is very, very put upon, and it's very She's just very unlikable. She's very woe is me. Her The whole first chapter, everything bad she has to, like, her, all of her problems are that all the grown-ups like her. Like, everyone likes me too much. Everyone likes me, and it makes my peers hate me. <laughs> anyway. Um, so then it's time for this trio. Anyway, Mina solves their Mina problem. Mina solves the problem. <laughs> And it's time for this trio, which again is never named. We'll talk about it in the next part, but that very bothers me. Um, But their song is called Summer Heat. We are told that. And it's Mm -hmm. time to present it to the executives. Mina and Rachel have decided through this secret practice to just switch parts and do the parts that they feel they are better at, but they didn't tell Jason. Lucky for Jason, because everyone gets screamed at, except Jason, because everyone loves Jason. And then Rachel overhears Mina getting extra screamed at by her mean dad. Mm -hmm. And she tries to, like, go be nice about it. And Mina, like, curses her out. Right. In a defensive way. No, you don't know my dad. Um, Okay, chapter 12. This is where things start to go all over the place. So Rachel and her friends go on a school trip to Jeju Island for, like, botany class, we are told. International school. Right, because their international (laughs) school is Hogwarts, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) And the hotel described sounds like the one I went to on my honeymoon, and it was, like, very fancy. Um, So Rachel's, like, texting Jason the whole time. And then there's a part where they go meet the, like, Henya, the, like, lady divers. And she, like, thinks about girl power for a while or something. That part was cool. I did like that part of the book. My mom told, there's another book. There's like a book about those diving ladies. That's very popular. My mom bought it for me. I haven't read it. Anyway, then at the hotel buffet, Rachel spots important character, Kang Jina. Kang Jina is the lead singer of Electric Flower, that girl group we referenced earlier. The supposed like foundational girl group of DB Entertainment. Yes. They are the record makers of this company. Mm-hmm. And she is there with the lead singer of a group called Ten Stars named Song Yumin. And he's clearly her boyfriend. And they're having like an argument at the table. And the boyfriend is like, they don't appreciate you. You have to ask for more. Yeah, and she's stand like, stand up for yourself. No, blah. So then on her way, stomping out of this buffet, Gina stops at Rachel's table to specifically tell her. Not to get a boyfriend. Right, because Gina has also seen this viral video (laughs) and knows who Rachel Kim is and takes her time to say, hey, you're a trainee at my company, right? Let me give you some advice, kid. Don't Don't get get a a boyfriend. boyfriend. And then she walks away. So then when Rachel's texting with Jason later, she's like trying to like shove him off. And he is like, we should go on a self-care day with your sister. Mm Mm-hmm. Chapter 13, open on Jason's private plane. We'll get into that later. We'll talk about that later. He takes Rachel and Leah to Tokyo for a day. 
and they go to a unicorn cafe and then they're gonna ride go-karts around the city and then whoop it's puke time again leah pukes all over rachel so then they don't go on go-karts what's with the kim sisters and why do they puke so much why are you puking so much <laughs> i don't and know. all over poor jason there's also in the first chapter when they're at the little reception and we learn that Rachel doesn't like cucumbers. She also references puking somewhere else because There's she ate a lot cucumbers. Of in this. It's yeah. gross. So then they have to like leave early and on the plane back home while the sister is sleeping, like Rachel and Jason like bond over while being... the sister falls asleep to a rock movie. Yes, because she loves the rock. Um, and then they bond over like being Western and like yeah. missing like food and going to prom and like stuff like that and they also specifically discuss the difficulties of sort of straddling two cultures Mm -hmm. and being like having the experience the shared experience of not being western enough when they lived in canada and the united states and not being korean enough Mm -hmm. now that they live in korea so that that part i think is one of the like best well like best done parts of the novel I think that their connection and the way that Rachel reflects on what it is like to be a foreign idol that felt very heartfelt and Mm -hmm. from true clearly rooted in like some kind of experience yeah so chapter 14 we're backstage at an electric flower concert and the trio are gonna the trio are gonna film a music video in front of like using this crowd, right? So Jason sends good luck donuts to Rachel because they were talking about promposal donuts on the plane. Yes. And a key detail that I skipped over in your summary, but the chapter ends with Jason oh, yes. almost confessing oh, his feelings yes. because they're talking about promposals and he almost confesses. But Leo wakes up. <laughs> Are we almost there? And then they like don't. And then Rachel like moves and they don't finish their... Come Gina's words echoing in her ears. She moves. She moves. No boyfriend. Okay, so backstage at the concert, she gets these good luck donuts. At the same time she gets the donuts, Akari shows up and they tell us that she, that Rachel hasn't spoken to Akari in like weeks. Like not since it was announced that she was going to do this trio. So Akari's like, who are those donuts from? And Rachel like lies and says she doesn't know who they're from. So like her relationship with her friend is broken officially. Chapter 14. Um, Jason pulls Rachel backstage during the like electric flower finale and the star curtain led and they fucking kiss they kissed backstage the you know what i thought of when i when i read that part the scene in parks and rec when leslie and ben are hiding their relationship and they kiss it backstage during the little sebastian memorial right they get caught and they got caught i was like you're gonna get caught rachel yeah and we'll find out why later because we know the fans are um, okay, so the next chapter, Rachel is like eating uh, cold noodles with her family and daydreaming about how she's been secretly dating Jason. We like see some flashbacks of like they go to the movie theater where they can like kiss and no one can see them. And Jason's like does some stunt about like, I'm going to run into the street and say that I love you. And she's like, Jason, you can't. And he's like, what? Mr. No would probably be happy for us. Like he's super in denial, like thinks like he's not scared of getting caught at all. Right. And just to point out, they never established how established his career is. Right. We also don't know how old Jason is. We which have also no idea how me. old he is. And that is my biggest complaint about my biggest point of contention. We can talk about that later. 
Um, okay, so while she's daydreaming, Leah gets like an alert on her phone and it says Kong Gina is leaving Electric Flower. <gasps> oh no. So then later in this chapter, Jason comes to a surprise Rachel at her school, like with coordinated help with her friend. He like serenades her in the garden. Mm-hmm. It's very weird. Because they don't have real classes and it's fine. And then they're like in the music room and he tells her about how like he wrote a song about being torn between two worlds and like he just wants DB to like, you know, let him right. express himself and write he his own music. He wrote this pretty acoustic song. Oh, because Jason became, got discovered because he did K-pop oh, he was a YouTube. covers He's like Justin Bieber. YouTube. Yeah, he did like acoustic K-pop covers on YouTube and then got recruited by DB Entertainment. So he wants to make like deep acoustic music. Yes, man. about his soul. So while they're playing guitar, the friend bursts in and she's like, oh my God, your music video's out. The people love it. And Jason's like, let's go to Lottie World to celebrate. And Rachel's like, but we'll get recognized. And then the makeup friend is like, I'll paint your face. Again, I can see the Netflix movie. Sure. So they go to Lottie World with full painted faces so nobody can recognize them. And while they're standing in line, some girls behind them pull up the new music video on their phone. And they love Jason, and Jason is perfect. But they have nothing but awful things to say about Rachel and Mina, and they're calling them sluts, and they're just like, they hate it. Mm -hmm. And Rachel is getting visibly upset, and Jason doesn't even notice. (laughs) And then they leave, and Jason takes her to a drinking tent. Again, how old is he? Yeah. And she is 16. And do they let kids in those? I feel like they shouldn't if they do. They do not specify that it is a drinking tent. And they do not specify that Jason Jason does not order them alcohol. And they do not drink together. However, we have already seen them drinking together at this frat party that was at the training house. We have not seen Jason drink or order them drinks. But it is established that he this he is a regular at this woman's tent. He right. comes here all the time, and she he is like a favorite customer of hers. Which just tells me that he's a so drinking So it's just age. sus. It is sus. Okay, so they're hanging out in here. They're having pancakes or whatever. And who is drunk and loud at another table? Kong Gina, of because course. the world is small. Yes. So chapter 17, Gina comes up and joins them at their table to tell her side of the story. And she says that she was not kicked out of DB and that the story that she's decided not to renew isn't true. She alleges that DB has contract extensions in a Swiss safe that are backdated so that at any point they can extend anybody's career by three years. So the original contract that they sign is supposed to be for seven and to make it longer than that would be illegal. That is why they backdate the contracts so that it is it's a legal loophole right and that felt very specific so we'll have to get into it later um then she says that the boyfriend Guman got a contract extension from his company Mm -hmm. and then broke up with her so she like tells right like she just kind of leaves rachel with a like you're making a mistake girl and like didn't i tell you not to get a boyfriend he's dangerous He'll ruin your career. Yes. And then so she leaves and Jason is like, ooh, that bitch is crazy, right? Good wow. thing our company she is so cool. way too much to drink. <laughs> anyway, let's keep snacking. And Jason like truly doesn't see what the big deal is. Rachel is like, are you fucking serious? And he's like, there's two sides to every story. Like, blah. I don't know. Everyone's always been, always been nice, been nice to me. To me. <laughs> 
<laughs> so Rachel is devastated and she leaves. She's done with Jason. She does not want to talk to him anymore. And this is like kind understandably of so. understandably. So this is, I appreciated that this was kind of at chapter 17, the actual crux of the story. Yes. Because now it finally, the real heart of the story comes out in chapter 17, <laughs> which is that there's a real double standard yeah. in K-pop and it very much negatively affects the female idols and the female trainees. And that is where the true conflict in the story lies. However, it takes a fuck ton of climbing in order to finally get there. But it's well done, yeah. I think. I thought it was handled well. I appreciated, the, like I thought Rachel's reactions were very relatable mm -hmm. and I thought that her the way she handled her disappointment in Jason I thought she was well done yeah like, it was rational and reasonable this was like a very this was a turning point for me in the book because I felt mm -hmm. like oh like oh that's not where I expected you to do and like I appreciate that this is what we're going to talk about now and I think from this chapter on I just finished like that's when I finished it and yes like, setting, me too because I was like me okay too. Here we go. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. All right. So chapter 18, Rachel is watching her dad graduate from law school on a plane. She's the only one who knows. Again, I truly don't know why. We'll get to it later. I guess it's relevant later, but barely. The company is sending Jason and Mina and Rachel on a quote unquote tour of Canada to promote this single. Mm -hmm. Jason tries to talk to her on the plane, but she's not having it. They skim over the tour, like, in one paragraph, they're like, it's four days into the tour. And, okay. Yeah. So it's just a, <laughs> it's just described as a whirlwind that apparently doesn't matter, even though it's her first major thing that she's done as a trainee, and that should be an incredibly life-changing event, but whatever. But no, it's skimmed the over. The main point is that people are annoying, and they keep telling her that she's good at English, which, that's a fact. <laughs> right. That happens. Then at the end of the chapter, Rachel finds out that the last stop of the tour is going to be New York now. And she's like actually very sad. And this is when she like comes to grip with grips with like none of this is making her happy. Yes. And that she thought like she's been wanting to go home to New York for seven years. And like this isn't how she wants to go home. And like she's just sad now. Yeah. And she starts to realize as well the fact because she was not told She's one of the only people who was not told that they were going to New York. And so she sort of starts to see herself as a replaceable cog mm -hmm. in a larger machine. Um, and that, you know, that's not a great realization to right. have. Weighs heavy on the soul. <laughs> so chapter 19 starts with Rachel on the phone with Leah. And Leah is, like, still so excited that Rachel, like, knows Jason and, like, mm. is hyping her up. And they're going to Jason's hometown next um, and then this is when Leah tells her again that like her friends wouldn't go to Everland without her, without Rachel and right. Rachel feels bad. And I wanted Rachel to say, Leah, that sucks. They are not your friends. Yeah. Instead, she like feels bad. Like that. Instead, she you. beats herself <laughs> up. Oh no, I should have been there to take her and her shitty ass friends to Everland. Like it's my bad that she, it's my fault. She doesn't have friends because her friends only want me. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> Anyway, anyway, um, when she gets down to the hotel lobby, Jason is having a very tense conversation on the phone, on the phone. We can, we can, you can infer that it's with his estranged dad. Cause mm -hmm. he's, he's like, you're not, you're really not coming. Yeah. Who, his estranged father who has refused to make time to see him while he happens to be in town. So Jason's like, I just want to drive myself. Like, I don't want to sit in the van. Like I just need to drive. 
So he convinces Rachel Amina to come with him. And he's like, I talked to Mr. Han. He says it's fine. He convinces Mr. Han, the cool, the, I'm not a regular producer. I'm a cool producer. producer. Um, So then obviously the car gets stuck in the mud and they're stuck. And then Jason has to like leave to go get a tow truck. And so Rachel and Mina have like a small bonding moment in the back of the car. Yes. They bond specifically over the fact that Jason gets put on a pedestal and they get treated like shit, which was a great moment that I thought we were really going to turn because we were making this like great feminist like turn yeah. right and then i was like great now like mina and rachel can be there for each other sure. right the only way they're going to survive is this horrible misogyny is if girls support girls and they like take care of each other right but wouldn't that have been nice that would have been nice so like jason shows up with a tow truck and fucking donuts and he's like have some donuts and they're both like we can't eat donuts asshole like we're yeah. not allowed to eat things but they do anyway but they do it anyway so then they arrive in Brantwood and Mr. Han is like, where are your costumes? I told you, you needed to take your costumes. So Rachel is wearing an orange hoodie and Jason is wearing orange socks. And wouldn't you know it, Rachel packed a backup dress and heels and it's orange because after the puking in pajamas incident, she always travels with extra clothes now. And she mm-hmm. says, Mina, you can borrow my stuff which seems like a great idea, but then the heels break on stage and Mina falls on her face. And specifically twists her ankle. Mina immediately blames Rachel, thinks she's done it on purpose, and has to go to the hospital to get checked out because her ankle immediately starts to swell. Yeah, so then Jason, because he's in his hometown, takes Rachel out to dinner with his, like, three aunties. And we find out that these are the sisters of Jason's mom who had passed a few years ago. And they own this town. Yeah. So Jason is also rich. Everyone in this book is fucking rich. Um, And then, like, Rachel is sort of warming to Jason because they just had this, like, family dinner. And it was, like, a bonding moment. But as soon as they get back to the car, Mina is on crutches. And she's being screamed at by her dad on the phone. So Rachel feels extra guilty. And is like, I'm going to ride without you, Jason. And, like, (sighs) leaves him again. Right. Because she feels... Um, okay, so then chapter 21 opens with a weird fake out where it's like her and Jason are like having a flirty conversation mm-hmm. and then it backs out to be like, they're just filming promos. Right, because so now you see that Mina has been sent back to Korea. She is injured. She needs to rest. But Jason and Rachel are going to finish this tour and they are filming promos for their single Uh and by, I don't know, like the premise is that Rachel is taking Jason to all of her favorite spots in New York. Mm-hmm. So they are just, but they're just going to like, like they go to Times Square. Right. Um, which I did underline that part in the book because there's a line where she says like, no real New Yorker would ever take you to here. Times Square. And that's a fact. That is true. Um, but Rachel during all this filming has to change clothes like 16 times and like she doesn't get to eat and like no one's paying attention to her. And Jason finally sees this yes and realizes that he's the only one with power to stop it so because he... rachel almost faints <laughs> in his arms right. of overheat exhaustion and hunger and he stops the entire thing and yells at the director you would stop if i asked for a break and the director says 
do you need a break? <laughs> and he stomps off and they go to Shake Shack. Yes. And they eat Shake Shack in an Uber. And Rachel and Jason tells Rachel about how his white dad basically rejected him when mm-hmm. his mom died. Like that he never liked his Koreanness and he didn't like Korean stuff. And he just basically like gave Jason to his aunts because yeah. he just like doesn't no, reject his him. aunts paid him. Oh, right. They paid him to get him back. Isn't that crazy? And his dad signed without a question. (gasps) So mean. Yeah, so that's Jason's damage. And he apologizes, like, for not realizing that he got special treatment. And they, like, shake on it and agree to be friends. Right. Next chapter, 22. The twins show up at Rachel's hotel room. And they're like, we're here for a rich person engagement party. Let's go to Saks Fifth Avenue. So then they go to Saks Fifth Avenue and they try because on dresses. Every Netflix show needs yes, a the dress fashion montage. montage. <laughs> um, so then they're like, right. And then the only thing, I couldn't believe it. I wrote it down. But the only thing they talk about at Saks is that their parents' annual rich person party is coming up soon and Rachel always goes. And is she going to come this year? Yeah. Then they're like, come on, come to this rich person engagement party with us. And then it's like described as like crazy rich Asian Asian shit. Like I can't wait to see the Netflix again. Like, yes, they just, they go to so many like extravagant locations that like the mo- you just see the movie. On yeah. Top of and it. the way that this is described is like, I'm getting the location wrong, but they basically, this couple like rented out all of Washington Square Park <laughs> or something. Yeah. And is or having like, the like park under a the carnival yes. in in all of Central Park or whatever. Something, something like along that. those lines. So when they get to this crazy rich person engagement party, Jason is there, Minjoon, the other named next boy, and the nerd friend Deho. So nerd friend Deho and other next boy Minjoon took a private plane as well, I guess, to meet them in New York on short notice. And then they all dance and they kiss and they like the DJ's like, here's the number one song. And they play Summer Heat and Rachel can't believe it. She's a pop star and her and Jason are just like kissing under the stars and everything is magical for just and a moment. fireworks. For just a moment, everything is fine. Okay. And then. And then it's time for it. It's time for third act fall apart. Chapter three, Rachel comes home from New York City and she's so excited, but uh-oh, Mina and her dad are in her living room with her whole family. Dun, 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 dun. Because Rachel told Mina when they were bonding in the car about her dad's secret law school. And Mina has now used this to fold Rachel into their evil plans because Mr. Chu offers Rachel's dad a job as a lawyer at C-Mart. But it's an offer he can't refuse. Yes, it's dangerous. And that's another thing that Gina King, that Kong Gina told her is to stay, stay away, away from, from Mr. Chu. Mr. Chu, just to re- reiterate, is Mina's dad and he is a heavy investor in DB Entertainment. Yeah. And it has been implied from the beginning that he is sinister and evil. Yeah. So this is clearly like a sinister setup for like the next book. And then Ooh, also, wait, just something that is slightly sinister or at least suspicious that has been brought up several times at this point in the book, but we haven't mentioned it, is that many times in the book, Jason flits off to meet privately with Mr. Yes. No and seems to have a very specific private relationship with Mr. No that we don't we don't know, know anything about. Of. And it is, I think, a little bit implied at some point in the book that he may be in the know with this Mr. Chu, Mr. No sinister plot. Perhaps. Yeah. 
Jason is not all he's is not may I, not be as innocent as he seems. I agree. Anyway, so as Mina is leaving the apartment and getting into the elevator, she makes one last snipe to Rachel, like, "Oh, you didn't hear about Jason?" And like Rachel opens her phone, and the headline: Jason Lee leaving, next boys going solo. Done. 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 So Rachel rushes out to go to DB to find Jason. But as she's like running to the subway, Akari texts her and says, can you talk? And she ignores it. And then articles start popping up on her phone about Jason being in a love triangle with Rachel and Mina. And there's pictures of him on dates with Rachel and pictures of him on dates with Mina. Specifically, there are several pictures of their self-care day in Tokyo. Yes. And then girls on the subway are like, I heard Rachel's pregnant. I heard her and Mina like fought with shoes in Canada. And like Rachel's freaking out. So she- and someone says, isn't that her over there? <laughs> yes. And she runs into DB and Jason is completely unaware of anything that's happening. Sure. So she confronts him about it and he's like, Oh, I mean, I guess I was in on this whole plan. They just told me it's what I had to do to go solo. I had to like prove that I was famous enough. So the company manufactured this love triangle to help me go solo. And then Rachel is like, Jason, you moron. Don't you see They did this love triangle because your song about being torn between two worlds, the thing that's meaningful to you, is now going to be interpreted as being torn between two girls. You stupid asshole. You let them play you. They don't care about you either. Mina and I are cogs in the machine, and so are you. You. But it also becomes a sort of additional dig of this reveal is that Mina knew about the plot of this love triangle and she knew the date she went on with Jason was fake, but they didn't tell Rachel because as it was established in the very first scene, she's bad on camera. Mm -hmm. So So she probably couldn't have acted. So Jason fabricated the entire self-care day and the the purpose of the trip to Tokyo was to take these secret paparazzi photos they weren't supposed to fall in love after that part but he was in on everything before then bad so Rachel is heartbroken she goes to visit the twins and they're getting ready for said fancy party they talked about two chapters ago but instead the girls just get drunk in ball gowns and I was like again this underage Drinking. drinking stuff and while they're sitting around drunk on the couch knock 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 nerdy boy Deho is here and he confesses his love to Hieri the nerdier twin who huh. also had a crush on him that bow wrapped up so lovely next morning rachel's mom comes into her room and gives the most stereotypical speech from a movie or book like this about how she gave up her dreams to be a volleyball olympian and she will not let rachel give up on her k-pop dreams even though she's been a real bitch about it so (laughs) far and made it really hard for her to feel motivated at all so again the mom's not a character and she sucked and she sucked okay two more chapters we're almost here 
Eugen texts Rachel and is like, come to DB right now. And she tells her, I had no idea about this love triangle setup. I just did the viral video part. Like, I didn't know I would never do this to you. And Rachel doesn't tell her the truth about Jason. So that is still right. a secret. Nobody knows Jason and Rachel were actually a couple at a certain point. Except Minjun. Right. The other next boy and Rachel's friends know that for a fact, True. but nobody else does. No one in the company. Yeah. Um, then Eugen tells Rachel that Akari has been traded to another company. Next segment, next segment. And Rachel tries to call her, but the number is disconnected. Um, the trainees all have to line up in the auditorium. And Mr. No is like, I am announcing a new girls group called Girls Forever. And Mina will be the lead dancer and Rachel will be the lead vocal. But as before she can be too excited, Mina makes sure to let Rachel know that she has a fan cam from the Electric Flower concert that shows her and Jason kissing backstage. We told you. We told you you would get caught. And who did you get caught by? None other than your sister, Leah, who was such a big Electric Kiss fan that she was in the front row taking the dedicated fan cam. But Mina, with her eagle eye, spotted it. When she was buttering up Leah and she said, send me that girl. I love electric kiss. And now she's ready to blackmail. Yeah. So there's. So Mina has two huge pieces of blackmail against Rachel. A drunk video of her dancing on a tabletop, intoxicated and Mm ho-ish and kissing backstage with Jason. These are all bad things. She could tank her career in a very vicious way. Yeah. It's very scary. So then the chapter 27 is kind of a teaser chapter. It's like barely a chapter. And again, I think it's too, uh, for this next book that we're getting to the girl, like we've fast forwarded all the way to girls forever debut day. They're like all the girls that besides Rachel are crowded around laughing at a video and Rachel like runs up and snatches the phone thinking it's a, one of her blackmail videos, but it's not. And Mina's like, mm-hmm, Rachel. So like she's winning. Jumpy about. about. Yeah. <laughs> Mina's winning. Then they go out for their debut performance. Would you like to read this? Yes. I just want to read this last paragraph. Please. <clears throat> just as the curtain goes up, I make a decision. Staring straight into the center camera, I take a big step forward, leaving the other girls in a line behind me and stepping into the spotlight by myself. This is my time to shine. And I won't let anyone stop me. Steps out of formation to be front and center. Excuse me, miss. Girl, you better get back in that line. We'll talk about that next. We'll talk about that next. Um, So that is the full recap of Shine. If you didn't read it, there it is. If you did read it, I hope that jogged your memory. All right. And we will be right back. For that's not how K-pop works with a very special guest. All right, welcome back to our second segment for our first book club episode. Uh, that's not how K-pop works. And today we are joined by a special guest, a longtime supporter of this podcast. And you know him as the host of the K-pop cast. Please welcome DJ Peter Lowe to the show. Airhorn sound Woo! effects. Yes. Hello. 
Hey, y'all, thank you so much for having me on. And I, you guys, you already know, like, you announced that you're doing this book club. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I was so excited from the beginning. Um, and I, I pre-ordered it, like, instantly. Yeah. So. <laughs> You've been a great hype man for our book club. So I'm very happy yeah. you are our first guest. Yes, we both agreed you had to be the first guest on as the immediate supporter of our book club idea way back when the book was teased and announced. So welcome. We're so happy to yeah. have you. Thank you. And uh, before we get into this discussion of this book's odd understanding of K-pop, what was your understanding of Shine? How how did it go? You got any feelings? A few sentence review? How did Shine treat you, Peter? You, you know, I, I, I listened to other people review this book and um, adult straight male family man. I love this. this. This is like exactly what I was expecting and what I signed up for. And uh, it met all my expectations. Well, great. Wow. That is the first positive glowing review of this book that I've heard. I, I, I knew what I was getting and I got it. So that's fair. I do think a lot of us had different expectations. Um, and I was surprised by sort of the teen fluff of it all. Um, but it was, it was fun. I had a good time too. I just think I had to reframe my mindset because like many people, we were expecting tea. We were expecting something about Jessica and like, this isn't that. Um, and once I put it into a Netflix movie in my mind, I enjoyed it very, very much because I could visualize it. And then it was working for me. The question you guys asked me, like just before we started, this was like, okay, what universe is this in? Like I, I was orchestrating my own universe as, as I was reading the novel. Like mm -hmm. in my head, Mina, she was sunny from Girls' Generation. That, that's who oh. I was imagining throughout. And naturally. I kind of imagined Sunny as Mina yeah. also. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's something we want to hear from people is like, who did you picture in your mind? Like when you were reading, if you pictured anybody. Um, and yeah, Sunny is a popular answer. Yeah, I was I was very thrown. And we're going to talk about this a little like toward the end of the episode. But I was very thrown by the modern day setting mm -hmm. of it. I didn't expect mm -hmm. it to take place in 2020. I think I kind of expected it to be timeless, maybe. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect it to be so rooted in certain aspects of our reality. Um, but some of the aspects were very off. And that's what we're here to talk about today, right? right. Where did this book get the k-pop industry wrong okay so as we discussed at the very beginning of the episode there is a speculation that perhaps this book was ghost written or jessica had help or it was maybe framed in another way because this book seems to have a strange understanding of how k-pop works that doesn't necessarily line up with a person who like lived that as their life so we wanted to talk about these kind of inconsistencies that made us as like self-appointed k-pop experts go huh like that's not how k-pop works that's what we're calling mm -hmm. this segment so the first thing that stood out to us was right away in the very first chapter it is established that all of the fellow trainees at this fictional db entertainment live at the trainee house except for rachel who lives at home and supposedly only trains three days a week friday saturday and sunday whereas all the other trainees practice 24-7 until 1 in the morning and live together in this house and go home only once a month. Yes. And I can't think of a single 
real life example that I've ever heard of somebody who got to like live at home and train sometimes. Like that feels, that feels crazy to me. You have to live in a dorm because somebody has to like what, because the, I think the strangest thing about living at home and being a trainee, or especially if you're this close to debuting like Rachel is, then like your parents would be responsible for like schlepping you everywhere. Like that's half the reason that idols live in a dorm so that they can like be easily like watched and taken places. Well, and so it's weird that she lives at her house. But, but there there are some idols who, uh, families of idols that just happen to be living near, um, you know, the, the label re- studios and where they practice and rehearse, rehearse, especially for the young kids. Like, I, I know that that's not unique. I, I've definitely heard of JYP and, and YG idols who, who have lived at home. But to do it on a part-time schedule, mm-hmm. I think it depends, like, how far and deep you're invested as a trainee. Yeah, and the fact that she's the favorite, like how like how likely is it that she's like the favorite and she's also never there? That feels kind of unlikely, unless she is just a spo- the princess that she, everyone says that she is. Yes, it seems like maybe there's an underlying reason that she's favored that we don't know yet, and I wonder if that's something that would be revealed in the sequel. But Peter, what you were saying, like there are some idols, because I know before idols get like put into groups like exo has talked about you know taking the bus home together or whatever like when they're still in school and i know that when 17 was doing their pre-debut project they were still in school as well but they would go to school during the day and then go immediately to the practice like after school every single day and then spend all of the weekend there and then i guess maybe once you get into your group then you have to live in the dorm because you're not like going to be able to go to school anymore after you debut. Um, but it is very strange. The fact that she's this like part-time trainee. And you able to make it that far. Yes. But, mm-hmm. I, I mean, to me, like the, the, what is it? Mr. No, uh, favoritism, like that meets every stereotype I have of, uh, Korean biz execs. <laughs> sorry. Mm-hmm. Sorry. That's yeah. so mildly racist. But like, uh, I, I mean, just working with a lot of Asian companies and the favoritism that happens, not based on merit mm-hmm. whatsoever, but for some miscellaneous other reason, I've certainly seen that before. Yeah. Mr. No is a suspicious character. I, I don't know if I do really care to read the second book, but I am, that's a question <laughs> that was left unanswered for me. <laughs> Um, but on this topic of this of the trainee thing, the other term that the book used that immediately like perked up my ears was just the word trainee house, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like calling it a house. And it's described as a house. And I feel like anybody who's been to Seoul knows that like standalone houses are like few and far between. Like most people live in buildings and it's described as a frat house. It's like wild and there's a party and there are absolutely no managers or staff like anywhere to be seen and like that's why Rachel's mom doesn't want her there and like that's the part that I was like what k-pop trainee house like come on come on yeah my understanding is that most of the trainees when they do live together they live they call it a dorm and they have like a 
just a room in a regular apartment building. You know what I mean? Like other non-idols might live in their building and the company just rents out like certain floors or certain apartments and then their manager lives with them. Right. (laughs) There's no staff in any of the book. I I guess where like my belief was, it took a lot of uh, stretching um, was in the the family's, (laughs) Uh, decision to to move to to Korea uh, mm. on behalf of uh, seeing to the training. I mean, like, sorry, are we going to spoilers? Like, I mean, it's revealed. Oh that, yes, okay, okay. No, we've we've previous to this, we have just recapped okay. every okay. chapter. Okay. Book, so <laughs> go ahead. So I mean, the the reveal at the end that like yes, we're here, you know, for for you for your dream. Um, by the way, like I I, I was greatly irritated by the mother's inconsistency throughout but yes uh, anyway like the fact that a family would go through all that travel i mean we 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 know it's a cliche even uh for a lot of these korean idols to have their families abroad Mm -hmm. and then just to connect them infrequently so that just so that uh the idols can realize their dreams and fully dedicate themselves to the craft and the training and and the the business that's very true actually now that you point that out i didn't even think about it when i was reading the book but the fact that her entire family moved from new york to korea with her is rare and i don't think happens very often i am thinking specifically of 17 because that like pre-debut project they have so many foreign idols and they hadn't seen their parents in so long because they still lived in China and in LA. And it, like, yeah, that's interesting. But is that what Jessica's family did? Did they move all together because it was her and Crystal? We might have to check on that in the later we'll what Google. parts of this were true part. But I feel like if I'm remembering correctly from the I am documentary, like Jessica and Tiffany talking about how they haven't seen their moms in years. Yeah. I feel like they stayed but- in the States. So I don't know. But maybe they needed the mom character to be this like Debbie Downer throughout the entire thing. She just needed to be a Debbie Downer. She she's like the uh, K drama mother in law. Yes. Like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not not mother in law, mother in this case, but but you know how you, you always have yeah. to appeal to the mother in law to to win, and and that's ultimate victory once you've got the mother in law at the end. And that that's where I think like that felt like okay, this is just a plot device, very unrealistic. But it's a way to bring closure at the end. Yeah, mm-hmm. sort of, I guess. Her mom just had zero personality. And it was, yeah, it was just such a plot device. It was a real disappointment. But anyway. Speaking of another weird plot device that I felt was handled oddly in the book and then ended in this way that made me laugh for a thousand years, which is Rachel's odd relationship with her best friend, Akari, that is barely in the book. But we at the end of the book, one of the big third act like oh no what's going to happen in the next book is that Rachel is informed that Akari has been traded to another company like a baseball player yes yes oh I laughed so hard at the idea of that and it was just very funny to me and it just felt like who wrote this because yeah it just feels like such a strange like like a a wet like a holly like a Hollywood screenwriter's idea of like what would be a K-pop problem, and they're like that's manufactured, right? And there's like teams, so they probably trade them. They probably just like trade them and sign their contracts over, and it like works as a funny plot device, but just like it's the craziest thing that I've ever heard of. Yeah, can you imagine if companies really did that? 
Yes, if there were drafts every year and they like <laughs> oh, that'd be fun. trainees like publicly. I mean, that's kind of what Produce 101 <laughs> is, right? Oh, yeah. Honestly, kind of. Yeah. Mm, interesting. It's their wow. own fantasy draft. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on to further on in the book. The biggest consistencies, or I should say inconsistencies, that happened, the biggest K-pop industry fallacies that stood out to me were the way that the entire promotion around this trio was handled. I don't know where to begin (laughs) when handling... I feel like I want to begin in saying, like, they don't even have a name, but they're getting... This insane, like a tour, like two, a two to three country tour mm-hmm. for a single that includes trainees and they didn't, like they didn't name them. And all I can think about is what did they put on the posters? Did it say Jason Lee and Rachel Kim and Mina Chu, Summer Heat, like that's so many words. Yeah, and they never specify the they never specify what it is, right? Because my first thought was, oh, this is like an SM station style, like they're just gonna release this song. When they first introduced it at the beginning of the book, right? When she like stumbles into that terrible, she's like covered in vomit, and they, oh no, I have to sing. So that's what I thought it was. Oh, SM station, right? Because he's like the sweetheart of the company. And they do stuff like I could think of like Taeyong doing like pre-debut things, right? Sure. But then they get this tour and they're going, they're filming a music video. They're going to more than one city in Canada and then a surprise extra addition to New York. While they are in Canada, they do multiple interviews, including going on morning shows. And then when they're in New York, they film a promotional video for it. So there's this entire... Hubba. Like, this is a lot of money that has been invested. Like, the whole, like, comeback schedule, like, world tour worth of stuff. As though it would be a subunit. Yeah. But it's not because they're not debuted and it's never named. It could be a pre-release track for his album, but his solo thing hasn't been announced yet. No, it's not announced the until big... the very end of it all. So what the F is this whole project that the entire book revolves around. What is it? What is it? Peter, tell Peter, us. Do you know what it is? I mean, like, I think like, again, I, I knew what I was signing up for. And I was <laughs> just willing to go with this fantasy. Like I, in my mind, I was imagining like Troublemaker or Triple H uh, sort of thing. Both have um, names. Names. <laughs> But Those named, are things with so names. Troublemaker named after the single. True. Oh, so maybe they were called Summer Heat. Oh, okay, that would make sense. But they didn't say that. They could have. Yeah, yeah never th- certainly, certainly a plot hole. Like, <laughs> doesn't make any sense. But I, I was willing to go along with it. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Like the the, the level of investment to to spotlight uh, pre debut trainees. Uh, not even Jenny <laughs> from YG got that much preferential spotlight and treatment. Oh, good example um, also of a company exec <laughs> showing favoritism. <laughs> no, but honestly, right. I feel like I would have bought it more if, because early in, when they film their music video, it is tagged on to an Electric Flower concert. Mm-hmm. If they told me Electric Flower was on Canadian tour and they were going to let them open, 
I would have bought the whole thing. But it's like that they got sent all alone by themselves for, and it's like, for what reason would somebody do this? If that, that would have been a very small detail that could have easily been added. (laughs) And can I just say it would have sealed up the plot hole that is the fact that Kang Jina keeps talking to her as though she knows her very well, right? Like every time Kang Jina comes across Rachel, she like pours her heart and soul out to her as though they've known each other for a really long time. (laughs) And it would make so much more sense if they had been on tour together. Wow, now I'm disappointed. What a missed opportunity. Um, Another point that happened on this tour that brings me to a bigger question that we've sort of touched on for a second is... It's a big plot point and it works for the drama, but the idea that these three idols were left in charge of their own costumes and that's why there are not costumes at the thing is just back to this question of where are the staff? Like the one thing I know about K-pop is that it takes a ton of people to like make it run yeah, and that people are constantly surrounded by staff and there are no staff or managers in this book other than the ones that she's friends with and talks to like occasionally or the dance trainers who are really mean. That would have made for a more fun, I think, novel and story and more insider access. This is just a lot of stuff that goes on behind Mm -hmm. the scenes, a lot of anecdotes and war stories like that that would have been fun to to hear through a fictionalized account uh, even times when um yes we we heard throughout the novel of when she was going through scripted answers or, or scripted choreographed sequences or whatever it may be or even like pseudo scripted uh scandal um there are times like in the business where you can tell like oh my god this was the plan and this is how this idol like navigated through it and did like a stellar job that only people in the business would appreciate this would have been such a ripe opportunity to tell that story yes and helica posted uh pointed out in the previous segment about how um disappointing it was that this tour is like this is a she hasn't even debuted yet and she's on tour and it's literally skipped to like it's day four of the tour like in your like that feels like a such a big moment in a career yes. that you'd have a lot to say about. And I also agree that adding in the staff members would have added a more like colorful array of characters. Like maybe we could have had a more three-dimensional world. <laughs> There's really only ever like it's just Rachel and like her own thoughts all the time. And so maybe it would have been nice if there was if there were like staff buzzing around um, and you could have had like weird anecdotes and made it more human, I guess, more realistic. At the same time, like, guys, we've got to set our expectations for what this novel really is and what it sets out to do. I mean, this is like in terms of like the the amount of like mileage and territory, like one chapter covered, it's like, oh, suddenly we're over here. And it was only like. 200 words <laughs> this happened yeah like that's true things happen quickly they sure did um so the next couple of things on the list i feel like were just to my mind again just were like giving me flashes of like hollywood screenwriters and like a strange under and an understanding of how our entertainment business works but like K-pop is different and that's why we like it or like that's why we study it here on this podcast. Um, So one of the big things in Act 3 is that Jason goes solo 
therefore disbanding the next boys like NSYNC but like Mm -hmm. that's not how k-pop works that's one of the best things about k-pop is that an idol can go solo and it doesn't mean breaking up their group so that was just kind of a bummer because I was like that's like one of the one things that k-pop doesn't do is like someone going solo doesn't break up the band or at least not by choice right yeah like in in a hyuna four minute situation that's like totally different but this is like yeah yeah, and that also, like, if the fact that he could have gone solo and not broken it up also goes to the, like, he could have formed a subunit with two pre-debut trainees. Like, that is something that could happen in K-pop. But it's whoever was putting the pieces together of this novel didn't know those little nuances of the industry that make it more fun <laughs> sometimes than the Western industry. Um. So on that same note, one of the biggest plot points of the book or the biggest drama at the end is that Rachel and Jason's romance, unbeknownst to her, started as part of a company-manufactured dating scandal. Yes. Thoughts? I mean, uh, just as a PR play, like, that that takes immense risk to, ha- to land the intended uh, result that you'd want for it. And I, I think we've seen... Uh, labels in the past trying to manufacture scandal Mm -hmm. um as well as many like do the opposite of like you know mitigate scandal um and like next to the mom uh being very inconsistent about her dream and vision for her daughter and um uh, the the roofie drug deal and like it was the manufactured scandal that was like okay this is just in here that isn't really based off of jessica's experience they just needed a plot device and, and needed to tell a story. And this is where it was probably like the ghostwriter is like, hey, what can we do? A love triangle. To like bridge the gap. So Yeah. And again, I see it in the movie. When Rachel sees those pictures of Jason with Mina, it's going to punch you in the gut if they do it right. I'm telling you. <laughs> it, like, it, it totally works as a drama piece. But it's just so, again, like if you are a person who is reading this novel and know anything about K-pop, Things like this are very glaring because you don't have to be in K-pop for very long to know that the vast majority of the time somebody getting caught in a dating scandal is very, very bad. And nobody writes articles like heartbroken Jason Lee caught between two girls. It's like Jason Lee's fans burning albums outside of DB Entertainment is the headline that you actually get. Yes, like Peter, you just mentioned that it's a hu- such a huge risk to manufacture this kind of scandal. And we've seen so many real life examples, two full episodes worth of real life examples that turn out poorly for the for both all parties involved. Right. Sometimes they involve more than two parties um, like in this one. So it's it's very, very that was like a little I felt like I had. By the time this reveal happened and I had suspended my belief enough to accept this world tour that we had just gone on, (laughs) then the shoe drops that it's also all a manufactured scandal. I was like, this is too far. (laughs) This is... It's a fact that several companies have the no dating clauses. It's a well, I feel like that's maybe one of the most well-known things about K-pop. Whenever people who don't know anything about K-pop ask me about it, they always bring up the the public relationships thing. And I was shocked. (laughs) 
that that's Shocked. what they chose. <laughs> <laughs> that's the route they chose to go. Um, and then the only other thing that we had, or one of the things we had that, or that gave us pause is at the very, very end of the book, we read it in the last segment that ends with Rachel deciding to step out of formation and make the debut stage all about herself. Which just shocked me. So I was like, that goes that's it goes against everything that K-pop stands for. You are a team you're on a team, Rachel. A team. A team that already hates <laughs> you. I read that and I thought, wow, you really don't care about making friends. Like if you are in this girl you're supposed to be in this girl group, you gotta be in here for at least five years before you can do anything on your own. At least. Yeah, well but we've yeah. seen jessica break formation before but i think that right. that's a different way of breaking formation it was usually just because she forgot the choreography or something or she, <laughs> um, but yeah i wonder if that is one of those like a lot of people's a lot of people have been reading you know a lot of bitterness in this book and like projecting a lot of like jessica still having you know bad feelings towards her members and i feel like if anything this last line maybe says that to be like I should have been front and center anyway. Like I didn't need them. Yeah. The, Interesting. The, the, the dancing weakness felt like very real for Jessica. Just because like, if you look at like where she's positioned in all of girls generations, music videos, especially like if you watch the dance choreography version, she's almost always to the side and mm-hmm. by design by the choreographers. I'm, I'm sure. Well, tune into another episode for what part of this book is true. Um, But we did want to ask some questions with um, from you, Peter, as somebody who works in a PR industry, what you thought of the viral video scheme, initial um, scheme in the early book to try to get Rachel and Jason noticed. I think the executives would have been uh, more receptive to it. Um, I I think uh, we, we, we've seen Korean labels uh, be, um, Overreactionary, actually, mm. to to what happens um, in public discourse. Um, so I, I think that we that would would have been something we'd have seen more. Uh, it, gaining, uh, going viral. I mean, who knows? Like, <laughs> a, like we we've seen plenty of covers of you know a list K pop celebrities you know fan cam recording of them doing whatever that doesn't always go viral mm-hmm. um so I, I i think like just from my own notes on like applying like my my pr lens to the novel um uh, the first chapter when they were looking at uh, doing that that media training it would be very unlikely that they'd have them together as a group to do that just because mm-hmm. it's costly and not time efficient um, really, you're, you want to be coaching a couple of them and working on um, scrutinizing their delivery of message um, through it. So it would be especially uh, having a trainee going through that level of media training. Um, it's not worth the investment at that stage. You tend to have that level of media training for your more senior or people you've already slated like you're going to debut. Mm. Let, let us prepare you for this launch date or this debut date. Like, here's all the things that you need to be, you know, uh, coached through and, and how to respond. Um, mm, so that part would have been more realistic 
maybe as the first chapter of the next book of now that they are in this group. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, because then like maybe it's not known to the world that what what is it? Girls, girls forever, forever. girls forever um, is going to debut. But internally, like everyone's preparing for that, that that debut date. I also find it hard to believe that like. Was it when they when they dropped that music video? Was it a surprise to the idols? Like, no, you've got like a full blown, like you know, press circuit and, and tour, and like I imagine a lot of so social media plans for each of the members uh, to amplify mm-hmm. and support. Yes, that. teaser photos, among other things. Uh, yes, they're all the production things you do, like pre pre launch date, like pre announcement date, uh, that you're you're creating all that collateral, but um, even during the the launch date, like to to get as much publicity and get as much attention for that drop. Um, you've got a lot of live programming set up, or at least any PR professional worth their weight <laughs> is, is planning uh, for that. What did you think of the, uh, the hidden contracts detail, the little bomb that Kang Gina drops on uh, Rachel when sh- they find her in the soju tent, right? They say, wait, I pulled it up. Hold on. Page 232. The uh, the two-year extension thing? Yeah, yes. the three-year extension, right? So oh, they mentioned that it's yeah. a law that K-pop contracts only last for seven years. And then Gina claims that there's a bank in Switzerland with a secure vault with three-year extension contracts that they were forced to sign the same day that they signed their original contracts but, but were backdated and I feel like I've heard I feel like I've heard I can I think of many people in fandom who would easily believe this what do you guys think uh that, that, that's beyond my my area of expertise <laughs> uh but oh uh, just just as a general fan who's in the know of how k-pop works how realistic is this I feel like it might have been in the like again I've this book's timing and we'll get to it in a second in the world that it takes place in like that it is 2020 mm-hmm. like this this seems like the kind of thing that like a first gen idol would be warning someone of Jessica's age about like the contracts are shady they've got like they've cuz the before like exo sued everybody like I feel like contracts might not be allowed to be as shady as they used to be because people have gotten in big trouble for probably doing stuff like this that's true so it just sort of feels like nobody's ever like rachel's just learning like there's a lot of things that rachel's just learning about that feel like she would know if it's 2020 Mm -hmm. yeah and that can kind of lead us into this question of like what is the universe that this book takes place in because like I said at the beginning I was thrown by the fact that it was 2020 and you're right like in this current real 2020 there have been so many precedents set by other k-pop groups and so many contract disputes that I agree I don't think in 2020 like this would still be relevant advice so what is the universe this book takes place in right And I think it honestly, like thinking about this when we were talking about it last night, kind of threw my whole perspective of the book into like turmoil 
which is when we came to the conclusion that like this book does not take place in our universe mm-hmm. because all of the K-pop referenced is entirely fictional. Like Psy right. doesn't exist. Like none of those things happened. So yes. therefore is any of our complaints even relevant because this doesn't take place in our universe, but it does because Joe Jonas is there. Yes. Joe Jonas and the rock are in this book. So the West, like the Western Hollywood, I guess, pop culture is relevant, but all of the, yeah, all of the K-pop history is fictional specifically Chung Yuna, right? The characters mm-hmm. introduced as the first K-pop star who supposedly retired in 1980. So, but also defined and created K-pop as we know it today. So that means K-pop started in the 70s? Yeah, so when Western music was still banned? Right. In Korea? Yeah. So then it also just feels like... Does that mean that this universe, in this universe, the Korean War never happened? Oh, my God. A lot of things could be possible now. You know, Um, like when when they were singing that, like, 80s or or the retro song, like, I imagine something like Heavily Trot. So, like, something... I was too, but it was, like, the way that they, again, that they specifically said that she was a K-pop star. And it was, like, if they had told me that she was just a famous singer and not that she had invented k-pop then maybe i could have looked past it but like it makes every like a lot of our discord listeners were sort of frustrated by rachel because they were like why doesn't she know anything like it's 2020 why doesn't she know that she can't have a boyfriend why doesn't she know all of these things and especially if this book is telling us that k-pop as we know it has existed for like 60 years then why doesn't Rachel know she can't have a boyfriend? You'd think that would be like very clear. So I don't know. It's so strange because it doesn't, it's not our world and it's hard to, it's just hard to imagine. Like it makes, it throws everything into question. I I mean, I I was willing to give it a creative license there to, to like, maybe it's a JYP forerunner who sure, maybe that genre, that, that idol, what's her face, uh, created in in seventies and eighties is different than what's in twenty twenty, but that defined the K-pop genre as it evolved from that point, and that maybe that idol model uh, from that that point henceforth. So that that's where I was willing to like past that point. And uh, I mean, going to um, uh, the Western tour and the reception for it that would have worked in today's could have been more plausible in today's 2020 mm-hmm. but if you ask me if that was possible in 2016 oh absolutely not no mm. they they wouldn't have that same sort of success or hit in terms of press coverage or interviews uh depending on the publication but highly unlikely that they would have that number of, of briefings or, or uh, interviews scheduled yes that's very true the way that like the way that more groups will come to the United States and sort of, or to the United U.S. and Canada and sort of like bop around, do all those little morning shows and stuff. That's way more common now. So that is a 2020 thing. Maybe not for this unnamed subunit, but in general, <laughs> <laughs> it happens. 
Yeah, but I guess most of all, this book is takes place in another universe because it's 2020 and nobody has coronavirus. So <laughs> the Shine universe is maybe the one we should all be in, actually. Maybe it is the better universe. Yeah. I'm sure she chose Diplo as as the DJ for that one event because, I mean, Diplo is known to have produced and co-produced oh. a number of K-pop tracks. So that, I'm sure that's why they, she chose that Western real interesting life celebrity mm. to drop into the book yeah the choice of the choice of names that were dropped <laughs> i have a lot of questions about it incoming list in another episode of all of the strange hollywood and otherwise references to real things in this book you know the 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 novel felt like it wasn't sure if it was speaking to people who don't know anything about k-pop or people who already know something about K-pop. Very true. At, at times, it felt like it was speaking. It was uh, setting context and explaining K-pop norms to uh, non-K-pop fans. But also at the other times, like it just didn't describe a lot of K-pop norms. Yeah. Yes, very that's very true. I that's a good point. Like, it there were some things that it just didn't explain it all. Like I thought the use of language was really odd where every once in a while there would be like a whole Romanized Korean conversation and no explanation as to what it was. And yeah, the, some of the sort of like etiquette, I guess like the seniority wasn't really explained there. Yeah. Yeah. I think honestly that my biggest, but I think that's why I feel kind of disappointed is that, this book is supposed to have been written by a K-pop star, not just somebody who's writing a YA novel that takes place in a K-pop universe. Mm -hmm. Like she lived it and I wanted to hear about it. And we said like Leah felt like the realist character because she really loves her sister. And so like that came through and I wanted, I wanted to hear more. And we talked about like the few conversations about like feeling torn between worlds, feeling real, Mm -hmm. but a thing that, I felt like the book really skipped over and really bummed me out about is that they didn't discuss language at all. And foreign yeah. idols constantly talk about pe- not knowing Korean or their accent is weird or it's hard to communicate. And like Jason and Rachel would have spoke English to each other and that would have mattered. It would have made them familiar. It would have, they could have talked without Mina hearing. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that would have been such an interesting angle to like hear about. And they didn't talk about it at all. Although I, I do got to give them props for the Asian American experiences. And, and also like as a Hapa myself, um, also Jason talking about his Hapa dilemma, mm. like, Hey, I haven't seen that on pop culture. Like props like that, 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 that deserves, deserves applause. Um, but it, it felt against the other topics that they could have chosen as you list uh, Shannon, like maybe those would have been better to drop in. But I, I felt validated in those moments. I felt seen when they talked about those things. Yeah, no, oh, and that's yeah. good. And I think I just wanted more of that because like, yeah, Jessica really experienced being in one of the biggest girl groups ever at one of the biggest companies ever. And she has insight that nobody else has. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just kind of sad that like this book didn't give me that enough of that insight into like especially, her mind and what it was like. Yeah, especially because the parts that shine the most in this book <laughs> are the parts that 
do have that like real transparent like this is rooted in real experience the fact that leah is actually based on crystal like the conversation that she has with jason about straddling the two worlds so if we had more of that real trainee experience like you know whatever it was that jessica really experienced being a trainee at sm i feel like it would have actually enriched the book so much more (laughs) and it is disappointing that it feels like it wasn't really written by someone who truly lived that <laughs> life. It feels disingenuine. I, you know, it, it felt like there were a lot of scenarios that are more or less grounded off of the day-to-day life of an idol. But in terms of the beginning and end and the, the story and how it all connects, that part feels ghostwritten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, totally. Like that they gave that she was given the story outline because it's like because this is the movie we have to film. So like, yeah. Yeah. But overall, <laughs> overall it was a fun time. I mean, yeah, I mean, Peter, you walked away fully satisfied, right? <laughs> oh, completely. I mean, like I I was expecting that it was going to be nonsensical that there was going to be a lot of Moments are just going to have to accept that this is the universe that, that <laughs> the novel is presenting you and uh, appreciate it for what it is. And, and, and to be frank, that's also how I appreciate K-pop. Like, I'm not looking to go into this expecting, you know, Stanley Kubrick or James Joyce, like, you know, great American novel or mm-hmm. anything. I'm not here to excite critical thinking for the the work itself. I'm here for like lowest common denominator, (laughs) production value, and trash. And I got exactly that, you know, with this novel. And and for that, like, I will be happy. You know, these are time. The time I spent reading and reflecting on this novel was was well spent and, and good for my mental health. Wow. I'm so happy to hear that. That's all you can ask for in these in this day. That's a glowing review if I've ever heard one. Yeah, I can't wait till the the second novel in the uh, Netflix or whatever. Yeah, when show, when they give us this show the or this movie that we deserve. Yeah, whatever kind of adaptation, whatever live cast we get of this, I can't wait to see it. I'll definitely watch it. We can have an AMAK movie club. <laughs> of course, of course. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Peter. Um, Can our listeners, where can our listeners find you? Tell them about your podcast if they don't listen to it. Sure. Which they should. So the K-pop cast, um, but uh, again, you're you're in good hands here with AMA (laughs) K-pop. And um, I also DJ K-pop on the side. And and my day job, I I represent lots of tech companies in public relations. So. Where can people yeah. follow you to see yeah. your DJ sets? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. You can just, you know, Twitter is probably the best place. So at uh, DJ Peter Lowe is a good place to, to follow me. Wonderful. Amazing. Well, thank you again so much for being here. All right. So that's going to do it for this episode. But there are a few things that we want from you guys for the next couple of episodes. This is what I want to hear. I want to know... Um, what like I want to know your general thoughts about it if you have a review or you have things to say please email or voicemail but specifically we would love to know uh what things do you think were true about this book if anything if there's anything you think might have happened or was based on anybody real please send us your theories 
Also, who were you picturing in your head while you read? Did anybody like pop into your mind? I'm just Mm -hmm. so curious about that. And on a similar tangent, but more importantly, who would you cast in the movie version of this? So those are the things I want y'all to think about for the next couple of weeks and send them to us um, because we have more episodes planned. So just to give you guys an overview of what's coming sure. up, because like Shannon said, we're going to be asking you for some things, um, for some information. So our second segment, like we said, a big cornerstone of this book is about the double standards of misogyny in K-pop, which is a conversation we have wanted and planned to have in the past, but avoided it because it's a bummer. Um, and so we are going to use this book as a way Jumping to off talk point. about the misogyny and double standards that do exist in, in K-pop. We'll talk about specific examples from the book and ha- and other examples from real life uh, that could be mirrored or, or, you know, just sort of show how yeah. the things in the book really are based in truth. Um, then we're also going to have, of course, a nice fun and games episode. Uh, and so in that sense, I do want you guys to start keeping an eye out for like really cringeworthy moments in the book, or if there's like a quote or an insult somebody mm-hmm. threw out, uh, that you just thought was hilarious. Yeah. Um, I mark spe- that down. I specifically would like to mm-hmm. do a master list of the weird pop culture references. Yes. We're going to play a game based around the weird insults because like I said, everyone Everybody's in this book is so, so mean. mean. So mean. And yeah, if you have a particular, if there, we would love to do Mad Libs. So if mm. there's any like really clunky paragraphs or something weird, send us a yes. page number. I would love um, yeah. contributions. For we that. have a few different ideas for K-pop parlor games based on this book. So we're hoping to do like a fun, maybe like extra long episode that has a couple different games in one. And our grand finale is going to be about a dream cast. So as we get closer to that day, we will put out a list of characters so that you have mm-hmm. something to go off of. Um, because we won't be casting every single person, but we'll have like maybe a key cast of like sure. five to ten people that we definitely want to know. But if there is some, if you're like, I really, really think this person should play Jason's aunt. I mean, I want to hear that. If you have, like, if you have a, an obscure side <laughs> character that isn't on the list, you can definitely message us about that. But we will be putting we'll out you a, list a list to give you specifics because what we'd really like to do is have a uh, a vote that includes all of our Mm -hmm. listeners so stay tuned for more information about our grand finale it's going to be really fun um and you really don't have to have read the book from here on out right Right. because we just did a very detailed chapter by chapter recap um and so the next bit you can just be along for the ride and we will let you know when it's time to participate thank you again to peter Lowe for joining us please listen to the k-pop cast if you don't already if you want to find us to send in all of these things that I just asked you for, all of your Dreamcast info and your rewrites and all of those things, you can send it to amakpoppod at gmail.com. You can set, uh, leave a voicemail, 181-AMAKpop5. We'd love to play a voicemail of Shine stuff on the show uh, at amakpoppod, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, there's a Shine Book Club channel in our Discord if you want to post in there. Um... Where else can you find us? Oh, we're on YouTube. You can join our Patreon, patreon.com slash amakpoppod. Uh, just sign up for our Patreon. We're going to be doing choreography this month. And we're going to teach you guys two dances. And it's going to be fun. Uh, all right. That's it for today. 
Join us next week for second edition of AMAK Book Club, Shine Edition. Goodbye. Jonghyun, you're our inspiration. 